dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Welcome back to the Neo-Jurassic Podcast. I'm your host, Bry, and I'm so pleased you've decided to join us today. The podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus uh, for the past couple weeks due to some serious technical issues, but we're back. This particular episode will be the third part in a trilogy of paleoartist profiles. The bulk of this episode is comprised of a conversation with another of my favorite paleoartists, Yoshua Kanupa. Yashua is a spectacularly prolific artist, regularly churning out a very broad array of truly inspired pieces that are brimming with life, personality, and deep, deep reverence. I've long been a fan, and it was a joy to speak to him about his work, his relationship with the Jurassic franchise, and his gorgeous new graphic novel, Europasaurus. However, before we jump into the uh, meat of the sode, I have a few quick notes. As I mentioned earlier, my old laptop was barely clinging to any functionality, which has greatly hindered my plans for the show within the past couple of months. However, I have finally upgraded to a brand new machine that will enable me to achieve far, far more than I have ever been before, and I'm very, very excited. On a related note, a few weeks back, I launched a Patreon in support of this podcast and my efforts to grow the show into something bigger and better. The Patreon currently has six available tiers, ranging from $1 to $20. But I'd also like to mention that Patreon patronage is but one way to support the show. Seriously, likes, shares, subscriptions, positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, and even something as simple as just like shooting me some constructive feedback is just as valuable at this point. And I've been profoundly touched by all of the support I've received since launch. In particular, I'd like to give a special thank you to the show's very first patrons. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Janine. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Leela. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Mom. Thank y'all. My heart is truly full, and I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. And there's one more thing I've been meaning to address before we get into the interview. So critiquing the Jurassic franchise was not really on the list of objectives I had when I began the Neo-Jurassic podcast. As I've said in the past, most everyone listening to this podcast has probably heard them a thousand times over at this point, and I'm not particularly interested in going over them again on the show. Personally, I'm much more interested in pursuing an optimistic look at the tremendous potential held in the future of the franchise and exploring the possibilities of what a Neo-Jurassic world could really look like. Having said that, as I learned time and time again throughout putting this show together, most, if not all, of the scientists, experts, and artists I've spoken with have a lot of issues with the franchise, and unfortunately, more often than not, I tend to agree with them. Now, of course, at the end of the day, Jurassic is a blockbuster science fiction movie franchise. It's a franchise that began with a film from the very same director as E.T., Jaws, Indiana Jones, Ready Player One, BFG, War of the Worlds, etc. And while it's true it's not intended to be a documentary, there's simply no denying the fact that the Jurassic franchise probably has more influence on the general audience's perception of dinosaurs than all of the scientific institutions, museums, and documentary films combined. And again, 
While I'm not at all interested in this podcast functioning as yet another angry little dude soapbox, I do think it's very important to push the powers that be in any way that we can to do better when it comes to the representation and science of these animals. Anywho, now that that's out of the way, let's dive into our chat with paleoartist Joshua Kanupa. So, um, how you, how would you prefer to be, uh, what do you, is there a title you prefer? Paleo artist? Is that, is that typically what you, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm doing mostly paleo art, also speculative evolution, but, uh, yeah. I, I love your, I mean, I have to tell you, you're one of my favorite, favorite paleo artists. I truly, truly, truly love what you produce. So right, so often, and your paleo cast, uh, like paleo stream, um, is just an endless source of of joy and curiosity and excitement for me. I get thrilled every time I see a new little cluster of images from you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, sorry to get effusive there, but it's important for me to express that to you because I really do That's love okay. your work and the frequency with which you produce work. I think allows you to develop so much nuance, like so much nuance in, in, in uh, gestures and light. It's, it's really spectacular. Yeah. It's, it's funny. The whole paleo stream project basically only started because I started to work on the Europasaurus graphic novel that is now, um, becoming available. And I was like, okay, I will not be able to produce much else. Mm -hmm. How how can I keep myself still be an active part of this community? And, uh, <laughs> and I think it's and worked also at the same time. How can me. I maybe practice a little bit more uh, digital um, drawing and and painting, which I did basically nothing of beforehand. So, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, um, this and it really shows when you look at the first sketches. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I went through your old, your deviant art. Is it deviant art? I went through yes. it for yes. like years and years going back all the way to when you did the, um, the sort yeah, of reimagined, <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park as though it were like a small, modest island with r relatively modest, naturalistic, yeah, uh, habitats for with a handful of species. Yeah. Yeah. How old is that? That's like seven years ago, maybe? Maybe even older. Yeah. So um, if you could, I'd be curious to hear yeah. what your um, your trajectory has been like as a as a baby paleo artist into where you are today, like how that developed and, and, and how... Because paleo artists now... I mean, paleontology has gotten to such a place where paleo artists are almost in such a place of demand to translate the information that paleontologists are gathering and synthesize it into something that can be, you know, given to the media for interpretation for a new species or a new behavior. Yeah, at least for press like release artworks. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's such an expectation of, uh, uh, on the artists that are producing the imagery to have some fidelity to the actual animal. Um, they have to have a very rigorous understanding of anatomy specifically, you know, 
ancient anatomy that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and so exactly. that, that asks a lot from a paleo artist um, without necessarily that artist having gone through the, the, the anatomy process at a school or understanding paleontology as like a thorough uh, you know, accredited paleontologist. So what has your development looked like from the beginning to where you are now? Um, when we start at the very, very beginning, we would need to jump back to, to kindergarten times. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I think, four years old, first day in kindergarten, I knew no one. So, and and I was a little bit shy. And, uh, okay, first thing I, I did, I, I sat down and, and drew something. Mm -hmm. Which was, I think, some 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 Native Americans and cowboys, something oh. in that direction. Um, beforehand, I wasn't actually drawing anything. That uh, only only lines on paper or stuff like that. That was really the first time I I created actual images. Mm -hmm. um, but I already had the, the the fascination for for dinosaurs, and I I. I saw, I, I got feedback from my pictures and, and everybody was, of course, like, oh, you did so nice, although they look like crap in hindsight, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that motivated me, of course, to, to further pursue, um, to develop a skill set in that direction and, and the, the passion for dinosaurs and drawing it, it, it germinated each other. Yeah. Um, over and over again. So when uh, when I uh, drew something, it it uh, further um, deepened, deepened my fascination with dinosaurs and vice versa. Um, then I came to school and I I was usually one of these guys, you know, that, uh, <laughs> who who are two weeks earlier finished with their assignments in, in, in art classes um, and always get to ask, hey, can you help me with that <laughs> during during art assignments? Um, in, and at the same time, I, I was relatively good in, in, in the science classes, biology oh. especially. Um, and... Oh, let, let's think. Then we have to jump quite a bit forward. Um, when I actually entered the internet for the first time as a producer, not just as a consumer, that was with DeviantArt. Mm -hmm. uh, as you have seen, there's quite a lot of old stuff there, and I still have it all online. Uh, so people and I myself can look at it and, and think, oh, God, what, what <laughs> crap have I done back then? <laughs> um and yeah I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with that myself being I mean you're very strong and brave to do that because I I get embarrassed by everything that I say and do. <laughs> no, I, I I'm I'm uh, I'm raised an optimist and when I see that stuff I'm at the same time embarrassed but reminded also because of, of the yeah. all the typos in in the in the descriptions of the pictures uh but I'm I'm also um, at the same time uh, can can feel relief. Oh hey, I actually improved. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with 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 uh, entering DeviantArt and actually getting um, for the first time feedback from like-minded people, 
that helped a lot and and this there was from there on a rapid um development uh, in in my skill sets uh, and I, I actually began to use, for example, references. Beforehand, yeah. I was like, uh, okay, I, I just have to know this anatomy. I can't use references. No, I. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a sentiment I encounter quite often, even today. And um, thankfully, back, back then, it, it just began to really develop this, this, this infrastructure that we are used to today that that people are networking among each other sharing it's, papers it's and fascinating and it's very it's a very unique community yes yes i don't think and, anything and like I it really exists a very young paleo artist that just now get into the community and have all this already in place yeah and and you can it's see really that in, in their progress, they oftentimes make much more uh, more rapid progress than, than I did back in the day. Good example is, is Henry Sharp, for example, from from Canada, yeah, who within just felt like two months or so <laughs> became an absolute ah master of 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 painting digitally. It's it's fascinating to watch that. Absolutely. Oh, and how, how did the references get integrated? So like, because obviously the references are so essential now, given, you know, how frequently paleo artists are utilized to express ideas and new findings. How did that integration occur? Was it a relatively natural, just like a, a like the communities uh, driving one another to pursue accuracy? Because um, yeah, I imagine it's yeah, a fine a line. The, the, the more and more serious um i and others began to to take this uh, the the more we we looked at the actual literature mm -hmm. i i still remember when when i worked on a, on a bigger series of pictures about the late cretaceous um of europe dinosaur fauna mm -hmm. um only i i only took maastrichtian and campanian taxa back then mm -hmm. Um, and and somebody sent me my first actual pa paper, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> seeing an actual academic piece of writing in front of me and all the different bones and stuff like that, and that was pretty cool. And um, it became increasingly so that I used this stuff, especially with the rise of of um, uh, uh, what's it called, um, stuff like SciHub stuff like that cool what is your relationship with the academics at this point like with the academic community um usually a quite good one i i, I yeah. know a lot of paleontologists personally or 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 just via email and stuff mm -hmm. like that um yeah and it's it's a it's a nice back and forth usually when when I have, for example, a commission or something, I uh, I ask for the manuscript to look at first. Then I make some first sketches and I send them uh, there, and and we discuss them, and it it goes back and forth. And and usually, I get a lot. Uh, thankfully, I get a lot of um, uh, freedom with the creation of of my artworks. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so so that it's it's usually very enjoyable. What what has been your favorite commission thus far, if you had one? Ooh, I I can't 
I can't really say. Okay. It's mm, maybe the Europasaurus graphic novel. Yeah. Because it that took so long and was so challenging, but was so enjoyable. How long have you been working on the Europasaurus project? Nearly three years, I think. Damn. More than 180 pages of uh, mostly pictures. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, so um, it all started uh, probably four years ago. Um, I already had an idea to to maybe make something a little book or or something like a little field guide for mm-hmm. the um, together with the dinosaur park Münchehagen, uh, where many of the fossils from the Langberg Quarry, where Europasaurus was found, mm-hmm. uh, are prepared. Um, and so I asked them, "Hey, I have this idea for a little book. What do you think?" And they were like, "Oh, maybe, but I'm not sure." And um, and then two months later, I think I got. Um, in contact uh, again with the, with the dinosaur park, but also with Oliver Wings, who is a scientific um, uh, leader of the Europasaurus project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, yes, we, now we want to do a book uh, about Europasaurus. And, um, uh, but, but, but you have a very different approach than what you originally had in mind. They wanted to do a graphic novel or, or a comic. And, um, I was very skeptical at first because I never did that before. Usually, mm-hmm. paleo art doesn't have much narration in it. Usually, mm-hmm. it's just standalone pictures or one or two of them. But I, I was brave enough to accept. Um, and we got, uh, besides Oliver, um, um, Henning Alas on board, who is our art director and um, uh, studied comics specialist and uh, also worked on films and and other graphic novels and stuff like that so so he had the um the knowledge about narration storytelling mm-hmm. um composition and all of that and so for, i i got feedback from that side and at the same time scientific feedback from oliver and uh, we we three together then worked on on a concept um, the first chapter for the graphic novel, which was at that point rather minimalistic. It was we we decided okay, one chapter we should do all at night, which turned out to be our mammal um, mm-hmm. chapter uh, about Teutonodon, the the first um, Cretaceous mammal that was uh, no Jurassic mammal that was ever found in in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, back then only known for two from two teeth. Um, by now we have a few more, and um, I, I I still worked very very much uh, with drawings instead of paintings. What I do now, yeah. Um, and so we put together this, this first very hastily this first uh, chapter and sent it off to the Volkswagen Foundation, a big foundation that. Um, uh, help scientific projects with with funding, but also science communication um, projects with funding. And mm-hmm. we we got the money, and uh, then we we began basically production. Um, yeah, and it's it turned out to be more than eleven kilogram of paper. <laughs> wow! 
on my side and and probably 300 gigabyte of data damn um, and is is there text includes or is it all just purely visual storytelling? At, at, yeah, so the the last chapter is is a scientific <laughs> chapter basically where everything you saw beforehand is explained to you mm. again. Okay, to to give you a little bit more background on on the visual medium. But mm-hmm. we um, in the very late stage we realized okay to to really make certain situations, certain scenes and storylines more clear to the reader or viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's necessary to to in, include a, a minimum of of text in there. So you have no speech bubble, no no, no dinosaur will will talk to you. But there right. are little little descriptions. It's it's a little bit like like a documentary in comic form. Right. And how how does this differ from your original conception of the Europosaurus book? My my original idea was to to have something like like a nature guide you know like what mm. what you get for for birds or uh, stuff like that where you can go mm. out and oh cook let's that's that's a blackbird and and yeah. up there that's a falcon stuff like that uh, similar to what uh, Matthew Martinik did for mesozoic birds i had yeah. something like that in my razor minimalistic just uh-huh. species portraits and little descriptions uh, but then really going from europosaurus down to the smallest invertebrates that were found like like little oh. clams and stuff uh-huh. um and even during the production our our um our concept changed all the time we we adjusted it for with our first um example chapter that we did for example for the um for the foundation we had to redo 80% of that after we finished the last chapter because we li- realized okay m- my draw my painting skills are so much better now because mm-hmm. i did nothing else over the last 2 years mm-hmm. and um uh now i lost, lost my train of thought oh yeah and the, the the our our understanding and concept of the graphic novel had also changed to a point that we 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 had to give it a massive update. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so after I finished the last page, it was still like okay, and now go back to the second. Uh, we 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 made it then this is the second chapter and do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was totally worth it. It looks so much better now. <laughs> oh, I can't! I'm so excited. And it's interesting that I've also seen you've recently started branching into animation as well. Um, you you did that I, I tried, adorable yeah. Carnotaurus uh, display sort of animation. So it's interesting to see that you've you've sort of been sucked into this world of like paleo art narrative form, and now you're sort of dabbling a little bit in animation as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I, I have for quite some time ideas for animations, but never really had the tools, and. Um, recently after after we finished production on the book we were like okay our publisher is a is a very academic one and academic publishers don't really do much advertising yeah so much of the advertising goes to us because they are like "Eh, it will be fine (laughs) yeah um and and i was like oh let's let's make a trailer for 
for the for the graphic novel and and mm-hmm. so i i worked with a video cutting program that i had for years and and i made little clips with that beforehand but ne- never something bigger and i yeah. realized quickly that i came to um to the to the boundaries of what's possible with with this freeware yeah and and so at at some point uh henning and oliver were like you know what just get get the Adobe uh, Creative Cloud, <laughs> <laughs> at least for this project, and um, so so I got that, and uh, I, I it's it's nearly complete now. The, the trailer uh, cut in Adobe Premiere, and um, on the side I was like, hmm, and there are these programs and that program, and <laughs> oh oh animation, hmm, and and then recently somebody. Um, it was on Darren Nage uh, Tetsu podcast. Uh, they mm-hmm. they discussed uh, Abilisaur arm functions again, yeah. and so in in the comment check section, I I left this idea I had for for probably a year now that the small arms of of Abilisaurs were maybe used to drumming against their their flanks. Oh, um, because they, the, the arms are still razor muscular. Especially yeah. the the shoulder blades are massive. Yeah. So so, and and they they are yeah. well developed joints and yeah. everything. So they were used for something, probably. Yeah. So and so I thought, okay, most likely display, but what kind of display? Is it is it uh, visual or could it be acoustic? And and I I really liked the idea that they made sound with that and uh, uh, yeah, Adobe Animate gave me. S- f- finally the tools to to uh, realize that I, I watched a little bit of uh, tutorials beforehand and then just error and tried myself into that it's wonderful do you do you plan on having more forays into this medium i'm i'm actually working on on another animation right now <laughs> cool just just before the recording um it it uh, i have the idea that there was a new notosaur discovered mm-hmm. i think one week ago or something which is which has a razor flat body and a very broad flat tail hmm. and very thick ribs and and overall the animal looks looks like a very slow creature yeah they so they also mention that in the paper and i i imagine it similar to to uh, a carpet shark hmm. waiting on the bottom of of the sea very well camouflaged and waiting for for a fish to swim by and then snap it um and i try to animate that cool i i I was just looking through um speaking of darren nash uh all yesterdays and they had i believe some type of like uh, marine reptile having like a very uh cryptic uh yes like mottled fleshy almost like a like a nocturnal gecko kind of camouflage on the seabed waiting for you know an ambush yeah that that piece by john Conway is uh, is one of the inspirations for this. Yeah, and and this was what what you said notosaur. It's a notosaur. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I not not n o d o nodo, but noto t. Ah, uh, let me let me see. Yeah, what was it again? I have too many tabs. Uh, uh, I'm I'm just so curious. 
Well, I guess I'll see it when you when you release your yeah animation. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's they have two specimens, both very well preserved. There's mm -hmm. also a little bit press release artwork, but for me it looks too much like like your typical mosasaur in that. So, I I want to go a different route. Ooh, I'm excited. Would you have um? Well, actually, I've, I have so many questions, so I'm going to start with this one. <laughs> um, you are talking about sound potentially being a um, a function of the carnit uh, the Abelosaurids uh, arms, you know, drumming for some type of uh, display purpose. Yes. Um, will your trailer also feature audio of of creatures oh, making yes. noise? Yeah, it, yes. it will. And how I, are you some, sourcing I, that? Some time ago, I I also sneak peeked into into um, um, audio design, soundscapes uh, and stuff yeah. like that. And you can already hear a little bit of it. I I posted, I think, a three-minute snippet of a uh -huh. Europasaurus um, soundscape. So you, you, it's it's basically also a little bit of a story. So it starts at the sea and then goes into into the forest, then to a lake, then follows a, a river back to the sea, and then you can basically loop it. Um, and th th that was really nice. Uh, the idea behind that was um, that we might have at some point uh, an exhibition with all the pictures and also with some of the fossils. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be really nice to have play to, 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 to play in the background. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there was also quite a bit of research involved uh, in that many of the sounds were produced by myself. I just um, changed them with with audacity to make them, for example, a very low rumbling mm, yeah. for the sauropods um, based on what we know about uh, potential vocalization of mm. non-avian dinosaurs, but also what the inner ear channels look like. Mm -hmm. uh, so what frequencies they, they would uh, <clears throat> hear. And we actually um, were able to have this in a large room once. Um, last year, uh, year at our um, annual exhibition of our art academy, where, where I still study. Um, and, and I had a performance there. Just the uh, just a soundscape mm -hmm. uh, on large speakers, and I basically lead a group of of people through the room and explain what they should see. The, the room is completely naked, but only with my voice and the soundscape, I, I try to create pictures. Oh, that's lovely. Um, it was really fun, and the nice thing is uh, these very low rumbling noises. They, they are quite close to uh, infrasound. Mm-hmm. And you can, when you sit on the ground, when you when you were sitting on the ground there, you could more feel them than hear them. That was a very cool effect. I love that. And do you do you feature any theropods in the in the book? Oh yeah, we we yeah we have quite a few um, teeth and just uh, and also a few bones of a lot of theropod clades actually. Um, they, the, the diversity must have been very similar to what we see in the Morrison formation, but with much smaller taxa. Right. So similar to, to uh, Europasaurus itself, many of the theropods were probably dwarfed. Is At least this that's a, what like a few an, bones like a, and teeth suggest. 
was this formerly like an, uh, a, a chain of islands or something like that? It could that? have what been one crystal? bigger island, could have been several smaller islands. It's, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. Because you have basically have to look for, for gaps in the sediment uh, layers where, mm -hmm. where the marine stuff uh, stops, there was probably land, basically. Yeah. <laughs> because terrestrial um, sediments from, from rivers or lakes are in Europe from the Jurassic at least, extremely rare. I don't know why, but we have, for example, not one freshwater fish from the Jurassic of Europe, I think. Whoa. At least not the late Jurassic. We, wow. we know that um, fishes like, like Lepidotus and a few others also went into brackish and freshwater environments, wow. but they, they are not exclusively found there. It might have to do with, with the ever-changing sea levels that mm -hmm. freshwater fish communities rarely really establish themselves. But I think at least in ah, the Iberian uh, Peninsula or, or parts of Great Britain, there must have been big lakes and rivers. And it, it's really weird. <laughs> that is so bizarre. Because you would think the, the river and like pond sediment would be ideal for preserving... Yes freshwater fish yes. and yet they're they're none yeah i i actually um mailed um fish experts uh, for for jurassic fishes and they were like nope no fresh fresh water fishes wow. there so bizarre yes it, it, it's it's quite a mystery when when the first uh, fish fauna of of late jurassic um europe will be described that is not marine i i will uh, probably celebrate that that's <laughs> Yeah, that would so, be interesting. Um, um, we we put in in one of our our scenes we have uh, Lepidotus in fresh water, and I put um, uh, a lungfish in there that I mm -hmm. borrowed from from the Morrison Formation, but but everything else is uh, is is in, invisible. <laughs> basically, were any other uh, freshwater organisms found, like amphibians or anything like that? I don't think we have amphibians. Huh. Not to my knowledge, at least from the top of my head. We, we, we have crocodilians that uh -huh. were probably mostly freshwater, like, like Goniopholis. Um, but these guys were are also sometimes found in, in coastal areas, so they were probably brackish too, similar to yeah. saltwater crocodiles, sometimes going out into the sea, but mostly um, being, being freshwater inhabitants um yeah what a mystery yeah that that makes uh that was also a nice a nice challenge we, we have uh, because the langberg quarry is again also all marine um sediments so mm -hmm. we, we have mostly marine fishes uh crocodilians a little bit of plesiosaurs probably in there um lots of invertebrates uh, some even with with um, uh, what was it uh, color preservation? Interestingly, um, color preservation in in uh, in what exactly? Uh, in 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 snails, for example, there are a few oh. snail shells where you can st still see the pattern, which is oh. weird because um, the preservation overall is really bad for many of these animals. We we oh. often have only the the Steinkern, um, the the inner mold, basically, of the organism. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there are these perfectly preserved specimens among all these all these molds, suddenly with uh, with color preservation. Um, but yeah, so 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 the, all the terrestrial animals we find there were probably where um, it was shallow water, and and we have a lot of reef sediments there, but also these uh, tidal channels, and probably from from the from the tidal flats and and uh, maybe little deltas, little rivers brought mm -hmm. terrestrial remains into into the quarry area. Um, Sometimes you can even see uh, lenses in the cross section of the of the quarry where you see okay there there must have been one of these channels, um, and one of these channels was especially rich in in mammals and and other small vertebrate teeth, for example. Oh. We were there as a there's a we there's a Europasaurus project is one that is uh, um, distributed over several museums and other institutions. For example, most of the Europasaurus fossil stuff is prepared at the Dinosaur Park Münchenhagen, but all this microfossil stuff is mostly washed, uh, screen washed in in Bonn, uh, another big place for paleontology in mm -hmm. in Germany, and uh, they got tons of little fish, little atoposaurid, uh, crocodilian teeth, mammal teeth, and and lizard teeth out of just the, the big chunks of sediment they. Um, brought from the quarry. So you you kind of went straining through those little tidbits and brought them back to life in the graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so exciting. And and when is it being published, and how is it being distributed? Um, I mean, it's basically published now. Yeah. You can already order it on the page of of the of the publisher. It's a file, um, mm -hmm. publisher. Um. Mostly, maybe have you seen? There's a book, uh, two big books about Solenhofen. Um, you can get both for more than hundred dollar or something. Really enormous, enormous books filled with everything you want ever want to know about Solenhofen. Or I think five years ago they published a larger book about um, Las Hoyas in Spain. I have that oh. one. Uh, quite good. Um, yeah, on, and and they they now have it on on their webpage. I hopefully soon they will also put it on Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but it's it's slowly coming out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it. Thanks. What are you What are you going to be doing in the aftermath of this enormous project? Uh, I mean, I, I already have other projects running. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I, I'm I'm working on a series of images um, uh, of track makers in the moment for an exhibition and game that will be a cards game that will be uh, developed alongside. Uh -huh. um, then there are four big murals I'm working on for a museum in Eastern Germany. Uh, where they have local Cretaceous fauna that they want to bring more to the public. And so they're redoing the complete exhibition and every room basically gets one big mural covering one big wall. Um, and it, it's these deep habitats they, they found. There. There's one that is something like 
50 meter deep um, uh, marine sediments, then shallow water stuff, then cliff um, sediments where, where you can really see, okay, only really thick shelled animals survived mm -hmm. here. And then we have um, one picture with terrestrial stuff, um, with, with, with beaches and a lot of uh, plant fossils were uh, found there. A little bit of dinosaur material too, uh, but mostly I, I need to borrow from Eastern, um, Eastern Europe for that. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of pterosaur will also be seen in the background. If you could have any mural project to represent a scene from any point in geologic history, what would your dream mural be? Ooh. Uh, there are so many possibilities, it's a problem. Yeah. I, 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 I try to have no favorites, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I like to say my favorite thing to do is the stuff I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. um, to to not uh, fall into this trap of only drawing that one thing. Over and over again. Over and over again. Um, I mean, I would love to do at some point, for example, an Idiakara fauna mural too. You know, at, at, at first that seems extremely boring, but uh, I think that's quite exciting point in time where you have all these animals existing together before the rise of any predators. Yeah. Basically. And, and their body plan is so bizarre oftentimes with alternating modules and, and weird scales and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Uh, okay, on the, on the other hand, um, I uh, really would like to do some, some early Xenozoic stuff, for example. Yeah, just, just a few million years after the dinosaurs uh -huh. died, I think in, in, was it North or South Dakota? I can't remember. There was a very cool fauna described i think last year with some some uh, surprisingly large and diverse mammals and and among them also some some uh, reptiles and birds and crocodilians and stuff and turtles very very cool um andre atishin produced some some morals for that uh, it's it's an hour exhibition i think very very cool I, I loved that very much. Um, cool. Otherwise, I, I also would love to do at some point maybe some some big rainforest scene because I have never done that before. Uh -huh. This was really this deep jungle with tons of plants material. Um, plants very are diverse quite hard plant material. to illustrate. No? Ever, ever when I do, uh, always when I do some some Mesozoic stuff, it's usually rather simple. You know, you have your ferns and and yeah. conifers, and maybe a little bit of 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 other stuff in between. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that that would be interesting. Um. When you say rainforest, do you mean contemporary rainforest or an iteration of an ancient rainforest? An iteration, yeah. Um, for example, what I would like to do is is a Geiseltal fauna. Um, in in eastern Germany, there there was uh, once a locality similar to Messel. Um, nearly the same time, um, just further east. And it was a swamp, a rainforest swamp. 
Uh, and and, and when, when was this specifically? Uh, that was Eocene. Okay. Uh, I think middle Eocene, if I remember correctly. And uh, interesting about this is you, you have this very tropical um, flora, but also in between there, there is some stuff that looks more like what, what you see in the Everglades today hmm. with some cypresses and stuff like that. And yeah. it's, it's, the, the preservation is as good as methyl, if not sometimes even better. Um, because the nice thing is, it, with with metal, it's always a problem when the when the shale there when it dries, it all crumbles. Yeah, it's not the case here. Um, so so you get a lot of the original matrix with it and, and stuff like that. That's pretty cool stuff. And you also have color preservation and everything. Many of these you have maybe seen photos of uh, Eocene um, insects with still iridescent wings and stuff. Many of these yeah. come from there. Oh, cool. Uh, and they have large terrestrial crocodilians uh, and, and also gastornis and stuff, basal, uh, basal horses, and so on and so on. Very, very diverse collection. Um, by now, you can't, can no longer access it because uh, it was a um, brown coal um, deposit where that was found. And nowadays, that is a lake. Oh. So it's it's a closed collection. No no new stuff is in there, but it's rather understudied. Um, but now so, uh, slowly something is uh, they 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 begin to uh, to research more in that direction. Also because Oliver Wings, um, our our Europasaurus uh, expert, is now a curator there at at that museum, and he tries to get more people into the collection to research it. And um, the, the setting and the fauna is so interesting that I would really love to, to do more in that. And we actually were already musing a little bit, okay, if the Europasaurus graphic novel is successful enough, maybe you could do a second book with a similar concept about the Geiseltal fauna. <laughs> oh, cool. Maybe, maybe. Uh, huge maybes here, but uh, yeah. I, 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 I love to... Uh, think about that. <laughs> <laughs> my understanding is that um fossil preservation is extraordinarily unlikely in dense rainforest environments yes. typically right so what do they suggest was the reason that this one was able to come out so well preserved uh, the interesting thing is it's not only um a rainforest but it's also a swamp mm. and usually the the soil there is very ac uh, acidic acidic yeah yeah so usually animals fall in and after a few years uh, or dissolve. just a few months uh, with small animals, the bones dissolve completely. Yeah. Or because of all the animals surrounding it, it's, it's just completely eaten or the microorganisms and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but the setting here is that it was in a, in a, in a valley and it was surrounded by um, limestone hills. And always when it rains, uh, limestone uh, was was um, dissolving on the surface and running down into the valley, into mm. um, into the swamp, and basically uh, neutralized all the acidic uh, parts of of the soil, but also brought with it fine sediment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that covered these these organisms, and uh, that's. Most likely, at least, that's the uh, current scenario. Uh, the reason why we have such extraordinary um, preservation in that area. 
That's rad. What a little miracle that must have been. Oh yes, yes. That's it's and because of these hills and the, so I, I think that could um, these these white limestone hills with a little bit of vegetation on top and then the deep green forest below. Mm -hmm. I think that could give some very interesting um, imagery uh, vistas sure. for for, yeah. for images. Um, Especially, for example, I, I would like to have a storyline with Gastornis uh, having a nesting colony because we have a likely Gastornis nesting colony from, from France and was in a very open and, and rather hot area. And, and so I could imagine having the, the nesting colony on top of the hills and then oh, the, the parents migrate down into the valley with their chicks to, to feed them. Something like I didn't that. know that Gastornis was like a uh, would form like rookeries and communal nesting stuff. I yeah never would have yeah I, I was very surprised too. I only learned about this recently because in Mark Witten's book. Uh, wait, I have it here. How is it called again? Um, Lies through the ages, twenty first century vision of prehistory. Um, he has a picture of Gastornis in there, and he mentions eggs that were found that are most likely attributed to Gastornis. And I was totally blown away and had to research that, and there are a lot of remains, actually. <laughs> it's wow. surprising. Huh. Um, okay, so I just realized that we're almost at the hour point, and we haven't even touched Jurassic, so I'm now going to dive oh, shit, yes. into that. <laughs> um, Sorry so, for all future listeners. Uh, yeah. So uh, naturally, um, you as someone who's deeply invested in the paleo art community, the paleontological community, and generally striving to bring the truth and reality of the natural world to light as often and as best as you can, the Jurassic franchise doesn't obviously share those core values really yep. particularly especially these days um but it is you know the the populace's most common and significant access to pale, the pale, the world's bygone now um so moving forward um I mean, the Jurassic World, when that came out in 2015, I feel like most everyone that I know was pretty significantly displeased um, with the movie on a number of levels. I mean, and again, these people are more paleontologically concerned rather than entertainment, necessarily. Um, there is a concerted effort now moving forward to embrace a little bit more of the scientific realities behind these animals in this world. And we're going to see that more of that as the franchise goes on. There's sort of, there's been this like public, uh, almost apology and announcement that they're going to be digging more into what these animals actually look like and were. Um, what is your relationship with the Jurassic franchise? Let's start there. Um, Let's start maybe with with um, that I never had this this huge nostalgic attachment to the original movie or 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 book. Yeah. Um. I was born in nineteen um, ninety two, so mm -hmm. one year before it came out. So when it came out, I was way too young to see it or even understand it. 
And yeah. so when I was old enough to see it, actually, uh, I was already so old that I, I, I was no longer really blown away by it. Yeah. I, I liked it and, and I, uh, I, I recognized its, its craftsmanship, but I already knew that huge parts of it were outdated or, yeah. um, uh, or, or had quite a bit of fantasy in them. Um, and I, I was never one of, I, I, I should say, I, I never had this in, in, in difference to a few other people I know. I never had an awesome bro face mm-hmm. to, to use this bad word. <laughs> um, I, I never was, uh, for example, into Pokemon. I never wanted to, to see these animals constantly fight. Yeah. I never had the desire to collect them all. Yeah. Um, I, I just appreciated them as animals. And, yeah. and so all the hype and, and, and monster worlds that was built around these movies never really, really touched me mm-hmm. that much. And, and so I became, especially with the newer movies, especially sensitive to the flaws in, in scientific aspects, but also in, in the writing, in the storytelling, which yeah. is sometimes, I think, even worse than what they did to the dinosaurs themselves. That's my opinion, personally. Yeah. I, 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 it's... Just stuff like okay, uh, you in in the first Jurassic World park, you you come, uh, the the two kids arrive. They, I already forgot their names, by the way. <laughs> they enter the park, go into the hotel, and for the first time, the the classic theme, theme of Jurassic Park. And you're looking at in the resort. orchestra, and yeah. the the little boy opens the door, and th- what do you see? You see a shopping mall, basically. Yeah. I know that's my biggest one of my biggest things is that you see was. capitalism. The first yeah. time that ha- the, you see that theme in the first movie is when you see the, the Brachiosaurus and you are in yeah. awe and wonder and everything together with the with the characters and then you see oh look it's <laughs> it's Gucci and there is a bar and <laughs> yeah TGI Fridays Pandora yeah. Starbucks. Ooh, Starbucks. Yeah, it, oh, it's, let it's, me it's, let it's me awful. save my 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 cocktail here. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> I understand that there was like the intention is there's like a ton in chic. My issue with the writing in that movie is that the movie can't decide if it wants to be reverent of Jurassic or if it wants to like make fun of like yeah. the capitalist uh, reiterations of this movie over and over and over again. Um, and so it doesn't really effectively do either of those things for yeah. me, unfortunately. And the animal designs are pretty pretty much all terrible. Like they would take the Stegosaurus from 1997, which looked okay, and then they just turned it into some like 1960s, like lumbering slobbery. Yeah, yeah. Or, wow. or, or for example, with the, there's this one scene that ba- basically is a stand-in for the Brachiosaurus scene where the boys mm-hmm. drive with these horrible designed gyros- uh, gyrospheres through this yeah, herd yeah. of large herbivores where I'm still not sure how that is supposed to work without people getting killed all the time. Yeah. Um, or even and, just covered in dinosaurs. You don't have food. the same feeling, basically, because the, the the focus is more on on the kids and the 
and the gyrosphere then what you really yeah. what happens around them and and yeah. they basically uh, drive around the corner and then poof everything is full of dinosaurs and then it's gone again yeah <laughs> it's really ineffectual storytelling in, in my yes. opinion um so what i would like to know is what now granted you don't have the love so i i i did grow up with the book and the movie and yeah. i have like a deep deep nostalgic love for that movie most steven spielberg movies creature feature movies like i i i love them um i am very curious what people such as yourself that are invested in in paleontological accuracy and again just shining light on the wonder of reality um to the best of your ability what you would like to see in a future jurassic situation given your experience and your interests and what these movies represent and how they typically function, what would you like to see in that context, if anything? It's really hard to say because there is by now so much more possible when it comes to dinosaurs because we have right. so many more fossils, but also so many more studies that go into their potential behavior. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so you, you you could do so many interesting things i mean just look at all yesterday's and what they they suggest Absolutely. everything mm -hmm. um but but uh, that's why uh, just to to quote someone here I, I i read this yesterday and think that's quite fitting it's a quote by by douglas adams uh um isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it to yeah i mean that's that's kind of like I, I, I feel for like atheism <laughs> that's what 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 jurassic world did does all the time they the, the animals themselves is not enough you have to put yeah. more sugar on them and and a little bit more spice and <laughs> but at the same time less spice and less yeah yeah for example with the, with the color schemes they go yeah, for you the just... most boring stuff uh they couldn't think of <laughs> yeah i mean basically most of the dinosaurs are just like dinosaur shaped elephants and rhinoceroses they're yeah. all gray yeah. or dark green or brown and they all have big elephant feet and they're just stomping around doing like elephant things and it's such a missed opportunity um i Absolutely. think about that constantly um, yeah, the, the animations and, are often extremely mammal-like. Oh yeah, extremely. Yeah. Like you almost see that, like one I think for especially one. Especially in in the game Jurassic World Evolution, where yeah. even a, a a big lumpy stegosaur can gallop like a horse. Yeah, it's really. And you silly. see the the back is yeah. moving like like a mammal. Even in in uh, Ornithomimosaurs. You see the yeah. weird, weird angles that the, the that the backbone is making movements that a dinosaur would never be able to do, or like the galloping, mm -hmm. like like a horse. Dinosaurs yeah. don't have the joints to even yeah. make these these kind of movements. <laughs> ah! So that's that's so part much. one for you. Just getting a baseline of movement and and physiology capability yeah. would be a great place to start. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it feels so weird. On the one hand, Jurassic World is like, oh, look at that. Nobody really is impressed by dinosaurs anymore. 
And on the one hand, yes, that is true because you can never really recreate the 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 wonder and awe of the first movie where you first mm -hmm. see the the, the brachiosaurus. Yeah. But at the same time, no, that's absolutely wrong. Dinosaurs um, fascinate people for more than 200 years. They will not just so, stop doing that. And you totally ignore all the very cool creatures that were discovered over the last 200 10 years. Alone. 10 years alone. 10 years alone, the things we've discovered. 10 years incredible. alone, yes. Yeah. Like, like if they had replaced uh, the Indominus with a Teresinosaurus, for example. <laughs> Could have been um, so much more interesting, like like a storyline where, where, oh, we have a new plant eater here. Look at that. It's, it's so cool. And then it turns out it's an extremely aggressive rooster-like personality. Yeah. And it, it totally wrecks havoc. Stuff like that. And, and not because it's an evil animal, just because it, it acts like it, it would as an animal. Um, it's something else. They, they oftentimes, these, in, in the two newest uh, movies, uh, the creatures oftentimes act more like characters than the actual characters. Yeah. They, they are be better actors than... Yeah. Than I think it all comes down to writing, really, to be honest. It's really just all the writing. I mean, you yeah. can't write animal behavior. So the animators are doing a better job of animating living yeah. things than than. The and and then you see people on on Twitter or elsewhere using using blue or Rexy as strong female characters. Yeah. And I feel like okay, if you want to, but at the same time that tells a lot about the movies yeah. when you have to pick out the the giant murder lizards yeah. as strong female characters. Yeah, I mean, I always just perceive that as like a little cheeky joke, but it's true. I, I have seen quite a few unironic posts in that direction, unfortunately. I have to be honest, I always overestimate people's intentions. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's... it's On the internet, everybody is a cat. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it can um, be hard to read sometimes. Absolutely. So... The Therizinosaur is one of my, f I mean, it's just fascinating. That and Dinochirus, oh, yeah. I think daily about both of them. I mean, all day, really. I just think about them and how strange and fascinating they are. Um, what other animals would you like to see in the setting of a science fiction adventure film? Um, I mean, Dinochirus is, is a good one. Um, at the Darkets. Yeah, that's Please my number one. Please come away from this tropish use of Pteranodon in every goddamn movie. Yeah. I This is what I talk about in every interview, are the pterosaurs and my campaign for the Azarkids. Like, oh, that's what I talk to yeah. everyone about, because that's my biggest yeah. pet interest, personally. I mean, on the one hand, I, I already hate that they always have to bring horror into these movies. Right. You know? Uh, but if you're going to do it, yeah, but if you're gonna do it, at least choose some taxa would that would actually give you horror chills. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the they basically have like seagulls attacking people. Yeah. Pteranodon uh, is a giant gannet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that can pick people up like an osprey. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, I. It, it's it's. It's that's my least whenever that moment in Jurassic World happens, the whole movie just stops for me, and I'm just like. This is just 
gremlins. Yeah. It's just gremlins, but they have wings and, and they're attacking them all. And of course they get teeth. And <laughs> yeah. It's so depressing. And the skulls are extremely shrink-wrapped and everything. And, uh, yeah. It's dreadful. I think that and the stegosaurus for me are the worst yeah. The worst parts of these Jurassic yeah. movies. And the then pain. later on in the, in the second movie, of course, the holes in Sinoceratops frill. The that one doesn't make any sense. Originally thought to uh, planned to be a pecky rhinosaurus until they realized, oh, all the fans think that's the Sinoceratops. Yeah. Oopsie! Apparently, we did something wrong with the design. Yeah. So we retcon it into into Sinoceratops. Yeah, I will say though that that is one of as though even though it bears no resemblance really to any living ceratopsian. Yeah, I do appreciate that they did get adventurous with the design of that animal. I feel like it's at least a little more inspired than yeah, most it's, of it's, the other things. They they tried a little bit more. Same with uh, Nasuta ceratops in Battle of uh, at Big, Big Rock. Rock. Yeah, that's that that tries to be a little bit more beyond what we know from the classics, a little bit less nostalgia bait. I, I, yeah. I mean, everybody was hyped when they announced that Steve Brissetti would be yeah. the, the new um, consultant, paleontologist uh, consultant for, right. for the third movie. But at yeah. the same time, I'm like, you had Jack Horner there. He knows basically the same as, as Steve, yeah. and he still couldn't make a difference. No. And there is like a more, there's a genuine desire to appeal to dinosaur lovers and lovers of Jurassic. And there's more of an effort to love and respect these animals and these films now. Uh, have you seen Camp Cretaceous by any chance, the Netflix show? I, I saw a few episodes and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I will say that I think Camp Cretaceous does a better job of doing Jurassic than either of the two movies did, I will say, having That's seen the whole true, thing. That's true, but I, the, I, I feel like the bar is so low with so these low. two movies that that's yeah. not a difficult not really thing to enough. do, I would at yeah. least think. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for me, with this, with my questions about the future of the franchise, it's, I feel like I've given up any hope of uh, very strong and effective storytelling being used in these movies. But I do know that there's an effort moving forward to incorporate more real science and animals that yeah. haven't been featured. And I, that is I going to appreciate happen. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that's happening. What, and the book, have you, did you read either of the novels? I read the first one. The first one. So the second yeah. one has is entirely about animal behavior and dinosaur behavior. And animal behavior is my personal, one of my favorite aspects of living is exploring animal behavior. And also one of my favorite aspects of your work as a paleo artist is the subtle ways that you find ways for these animals to be engaged in behavior. That yeah. is well, that, that's natural. actually a good point. The second movie really had quite a bit of um, a diversity in, in the behavior of the animals shown, more right. than, than the first one or the third one. And, yeah. and was more also, there was quite a bit of explaining going on. Okay, why are the animals reacting like they do? And no, don't do that. They will react yeah. that way. And, and then stuff like that. that. That made it quite a bit more interesting enjoyable yeah 
Yeah, for sure. And the novel went into much greater detail. Like it explained that the velociraptors were an incredibly intelligent species. This, you know, made up version of what a velociraptor is. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. you know the most what the, the most intelligent vertebrate after humans, and would have dominated the Earth had it not been for extinction. You know, and it went into to explain that the behavior of the raptors because they were so intelligent and akin to primates, they were dependent on the passing down of knowledge, like a culture, if you will. And because oh, these wow. animals were brought back without any pre-existing generations before them, they were just these wild, feral, very intelligent, but basically tormented and confused organisms. And that is why they behaved as they did in the first and second novel and book respectively interesting and that's something that they're sort of digging into with these newer movies that i appreciate is that it's yeah. exploring this intelligence without the trauma of you know misunderstanding them and not really yeah. giving them the respect that they deserve now granted they're still being trained you know contact training and being used for some type of harebrained military application or something but just the idea that that exists is so fascinating to me the idea of an organism that we brought back that is very comparable to our own cognition and the struggle between those two organisms is is really at the heart of these movies and something that i would like to explore further just like the things that don't fossilize the behavior i mean to an extent behavior does get fossilized but you know yeah the, yeah. the soft material the the feathers the display, the behavior, it's all just endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. And the second book did a very good job of exploring it's, that. It's a very interesting point. I didn't know that that was written into into the book canon, at least. Yeah. Um, although I have to say, I think they did it better in that case than in, in Jurassic Park 3. So oh, absolutely. Behavior. Jurassic Park 3 is, I think, kind of the most disappointing of all. well no jurassic world is because it had more potential yeah you know? i i feel like um story wise it's it's certainly one of the most disappointing of these movies but at the same time i i i still feel like the raptors were um the most interesting there not only that they worked with with male and female morphs but also the the communication and everything yeah. and also that was something that i just noticed now is that the Jurassic World um, movies never really make you just just witness or or um, w you, th there's there's always action in there. For example, yeah, there's uh, no moments there, of there quiet observation. Where Doctor uh, Grant just just watches the, the raptors how they communicate and everything. Yeah, you never have something like that in the movies. Uh, the, the humans are always there with the animals in a way. And and the yeah. all, animals always know. Even with uh, that's something for me also that makes makes this the scene from the first Jurassic World so disappointing, or or less impactful that the kids are driving through this herd. They are not just observing. They are they are taking actions themselves by driving through there. Right. Actively distressing these animals. Yes. <laughs> If you want to say it this way, but it, it, you 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 are not like like John Hammond said, you are not stepping back and l j just let it be for a moment. Yeah. 
But also the reality is, is that you wouldn't really be able to manage a preserve with those type of animals. They would all be poached. Oh, uh, they most would likely. not exist for long at all. Yeah. So the, really, I mean, these movies are now going to explore. So these dinosaurs, as they call them, look the way they do because they were created to serve nostalgic purposes. They wanted, they created these animals to look like the animals that were in the books of the 80s and 70s and early 90s, rather than what they actually look like. So moving forward, these animals are no longer going to be beholden to the theme park expectation of what these animals look like. It's going to be more like actually taking that, that genetic information and reproducing to the best of your ability what that animal actually was. Um, now that it's not beholden to theme park rules. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting opportunity there, like how biotechnology works now in our present world and all of the ways, I mean, they have, I mean, people are manufacturing animals now, you know, they're placing uh, bioluminescent genes and, and betta fish and zebra danios. Yeah. Um, like I can only imagine in this world, you know, what type of, uh, trademarked pet you could purchase that's again dependent on some type of uh, food that is only made by the company that produces this animal and like kind of like the lysine contingency in Jurassic Park. Yeah, There's yeah. just a lot of really fascinating gray area to explore in this world of of wild de-extinction technology. Yeah, it's it's quite weird. Because there, there is obviously this extremely advanced technology in the Jurassic World universe. Yeah. Yeah. But it has, except the dinosaurs, it appears to have no impact. <laughs> the only thing you see really is, is with a clone girl, yeah. whose name I already forgot. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, that's written into the story so badly. Yeah. That it doesn't really affect me emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are so I, many other possibilities. For example, okay, um, what does that mean for for uh, animal con uh, conversation? Conservation. Yeah. Now that this this technology exists, okay, when you can clone a dinosaur, how easy is it to clone just a few more rhinos? Yeah. Or or some stuff that is recently extinct. Yeah, like bring back some more, easy. Bring back a mammoth. Ah, have two hundred of them here. Here yeah. you go. Yeah, it's 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 exciting to think about what that world looks like and could be. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that could happen yeah. there. It, it, Jurassic World is some, one of these these f uh, movies that fails at world building, in a way. I do. Doesn't yeah. really think through the the. It's oh, the implications of its own little things that it changed. Yeah. No, it's it's. I mean, it's that's the only thing they changed uh, compared to uh, to our world is a they through genetic technology forward by something like two hundred years. Yeah. Well, but I mean, they also had that giant hologram that. and those gyrosphere things that somehow managed to roll across the dinosaur savanna without getting covered in dinosaur poop oh yeah um, I, I mean that's that's certainly future technology <laughs> that's some incredible technology at work right there <laughs> yeah that's uh oh that design i mean is they look cool yeah but beyond but that <laughs> so 
Um, you say you really... don't have any favorite species, typically. You, you try to avoid that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... mm-hmm. it, it's like the, the old, um, the old uh, quote uh, by, by Ian Malcolm. Nobody really thought at some point uh, if they should, only if they could. Yeah. I don't know. If they... Oh, mate. Wait. wait. They were so preoccupied yes. with whether or not they yeah, could. Yeah, I'm better. They didn't focus on whether or not they should. That. Same with the gyrospheres. Yeah. <laughs> and so on from there. Oh, okay, Joshua, thank you so much for your time. It's been so much fun talking with you. I actually wish we could have talked a lot more outside of Jurassic because there's just so much cool stuff to talk about. But I really appreciate you giving your time and sharing some of your world with us. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. It was a pleasure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'm so happy to have the podcast back and moving towards an even brighter future. Speaking of which, next week's episode will be a deep dive into the current reality of de-extinction efforts with one of the field's leading pioneers, and it is fascinating. I cannot wait to share it with you all. Truly, it's a good one. But until then, bye.